0: Oh God, we offer this morning to you to speak to us and communicate, God, what you have kept securely in your word and offered it to generation after generation after generation of people who will open your word and read all the promises and all the love that you have available to them. God, your very present presence that you're asking us to, to come and be a part of a relationship with you. And, and God, I pray this morning we will hear with open ears and with soberness the, the reality of what this relationship looks like. And we'll respond to the call again just of, that you're making to, to come and, and to love you as you have so loved us. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. The book of Hosea is a powerful portrayal of God's commitment to love an unfaithful people. The book of Hosea is a powerful example of God's commitment to love an unfaithful people. It is a sobering book in the clarity with which it deals with our unfaithfulness and paints an incredibly... uh, it's sometimes hard to look at picture of what it means for God to be in a relationship with us. And uh, I, I, I can't ever say that any sermon is easy to preach, but it's, it's entering this book, there is just so, so much. And I realize that as we enter it, I just pray over you guys because it's going to raise up, it's going to bring up some issues in your life, and hopefully it will again, answer them. Um, But first, I want to start by just dealing a little bit with the question of what is love, because the whole book of Hosea is about covenant love. It's about God's real love. The book, uh, we've decided to call the sermon series Real Love, and today looking at covenant relationship, what is real love? And... um, some of you guys grew up humming the tune, What is Love? And asking with that song, What is Love? Baby, don't hurt me. Because for us, love means a lot of things. But as I kind of looked through it, um, love for us in our subjective uh, experience means different things growing up. And, and I'll, I'll kind of walk you through it. Um, two then, how God meets us. Um, the first is the love of a child. The love of a child is very much wrapped up in the whole concept of trust. right? If, if you get a child to trust you, they will love you. Right? And maybe they shouldn't love you, but they do. Right? Because you've built a, a rapport of trust with them. Uh, an amazing man by the name of Jean Vanier said... Um, He says, when children are loved, they live off trust. I think that's very true, as you see in the life of a child. Moving on from that to the adolescent years, people equate love more with the experience of feeling, um, which probably a lot of you guys can relate to well. We move from trust then to feeling, which maybe gives a more powerful and potent um, experience right off the bat But that subjective experience is one that we don't know how to regulate, we don't know how to live within, but yet we want it so powerfully. Um, And yet, that love won't come to its full blossom unless it moves into the mature stage, which is commitment. From trust to feeling to commitment And if any one of those stages is broken along the way or injured, it will severely hinder our ability to either understand or participate in love. If at the part where we should be building a trusting relationship with someone who's nurturing us and caring for us and if that's broken, it really injures us as we move into that place of, of navigating through feelings. Because feelings aren't bad, but feelings can be very misleading, <laughs> as you guys know. And yet, so if we don't know who to trust and how to trust, if we're not taught that, then we move into the place of feelings and we go, how do I, how do I navigate this? What do I do with these powerful feelings that I want to experience? And when we look at the scripture, we, we try to, oftentimes we try to uh, create a message around broken trust or broken feeling, and we go, okay, I can't trust anyone, or I just shouldn't feel. I should just cut myself off from feeling. And so, and so as we move on, we, we create these, maybe these broken ideas over our broken experience, but what God is, is saying is, no, trust is good, and feeling is good, but those are good when they mature into this experience of commitment, and commitment in the, in the Bible is, is understood in this concept of covenant and there is nothing more courageous than a true covenant kept I'm going to make this very clear, there's nothing more courageous than a true covenant that is kept because I might, we might enter into the conversation about love and people will go you know, half the gods will tune out because they're like I don't want to talk about romance but, but there's nothing more brave in the whole world than loving with commitment. And there will be nothing more hard that you experience than keeping that commitment. The book of Hosea is a book, as I said, about God making a commitment to people to love them and him keeping that commitment to love them. But finding in this interaction, what, is, what does that look like? What does that relationship look like when God makes a commitment to love us? <laughs> what does that look like? Because I think we talk about that often. God is, God is love, and we love talking about love. We love talking about how God loves us no matter who we are and where we've come from. But what does that look like? Because our stories are vastly different. But though our stories are vastly different, we all must know that, that love is not tidy and neat. <laughs> love is not always comfortable or feels safe. So what does it mean that God is committed to loving these people whom cause love to be such a confusing thing? <laughs> Amen? Amen. Okay. In the book of Hosea, chapter 6, and and you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read this for you, and then we're going to jump into chapter 1. In in chapter 6, this is sort of the verse that I think all of Hosea turns upon. It's in chapter 6, verse 4. And this is simply what God says. He says, what can I do with you, O Ephraim? And Ephraim there is the largest tribe in Israel, so he's just meaning Israel, northern kingdom here. What can I do with you, O Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. This, this is the verse that makes us understand the emotion, the feeling the whole idea of why the book of Hosea was written. What can I do with you, O people? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. That is good poetry. And this is what God is asking Israel. What, What can I do with you? What can I do with you? I love you so much, but what can I do with you? Because your love is so temporary. So there's context to this, and if you turn to chapter 1, I'll give that to you. Starting in verse 1, chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. So just stop there for a moment, and this is the context of the book of Hosea. Stories are good, or even I would say weddings are only good when you go and you kind of know the context of them. I've been to plenty of weddings. Um, (laughs) If you know me, you know I've been to a lot of weddings. (laughs) and um, I've been... With this summer, I've been the groomsman in 17 weddings. (laughs) So... (laughs) No joke, right? <laughs> um, and I, I really enjoy them, but I think that, and, and truthfully, they never get, the ones that I, I'm in especially, never get old because those people I know, and I know their stories because I've walked with them close enough to, to be able to be on the front lines, right? And, and when I know that story, and I hear the commitment that they're making, it means something different to me than just hearing two people make vows to one another. For example, two weeks ago, we, we, uh, my roommates and I went down to a wedding in Natchez, Washington. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Natchez? Natchez. Natchez. <laughs> um, and, uh, and as I, we drove down, I drove down with Aaron, and I, I knew the, the, at least the uh, man who was getting married a little better than Aaron did, so I was kind of explaining some of the story. Um, and I said, you know, this is amazing for me to see, because I remember, I remember when he was head over heels for this other girl, and he just, I mean, he was like passionate romancer, right? And he would like write this is the kind of guy, no joke, would write a letter to his future wife, like, every day, like, for her to read eventually, right? That kind of guy. And, and he really liked this girl a lot and pursued her for a number of years and, and ended up dating this girl for a while. And then, uh, and then that relationship ended. And, and I remember him just being absolutely heartbroken over that. Uh, I could share stories about... I mean, this is just a big man. I mean, he's like... Tall and big, and but he was just like a baby, and he 'd just cry, and he 'd drive down the plus you know country roads, listen to Elvis just crying you know? and and but to to go to this wedding now and to see him find to see Neil find Heidi right and to see that love develop and, and her be the one right to see him heal in his heart from from those years of, years of hurt and, and want and longing. And, then, and to know that story and to come to the wedding, it was so much more, amen, like, I'm behind this. And, and so the context means everything. And that is exactly what we get here in verse 1 of Hosea. We get the context that if, if you're interested in the week... If you look at 2 Chronicles 26-32, through 32, that's like the bigger story of these kings. Right? And you can read it and see all that's going on here. But Hosea, when he starts prophesying, is not prophesying during a year of decline. It's not like things are at their low, and he's like, things are really bad, guys. No, there's been a lot of kings who are not doing good things, but he is proclaiming you have been unfaithful and so God is going to call you to account for that so it's during the first half of the 8th century where the Assyrians decide to pull out things are going well which allow Jeroboam and Uzziah which are mentioned here to kind of get wealthy and in that wealth all they do is create more idols for themselves right they get wealth they build idols get wealth build idols but during his during their reign Hosea begins to prophesy and what God does is he brings the Assyrians back and he mentions the Assyrians in the book of Hosea so so his his time of prophesying he literally spans six different kings right and he goes from when he starts speaking to them saying guys you have been unfaithful and you will be called to account you get to see within his time of prophesying, that come to fruition. And the Assyrians come back and they take over the northern kingdom again and they take the southern kingdom again, right? So they take Israel and they take Judah. And Israel simply becomes a... a, They just put a puppet king in there and are exiled, right? And Judah also just gets taken over. And so this is what happens within the reign. So this is one of those really unique things that Hosea gets to preach long enough that they see literally the, the prophecy happen and the fulfillment happen for this prophecy. And, and he's not alone. You guys might recognize names like Jonah, Amos, Micah, Isaiah, all these men were during that same time. And the crazy thing is, as I read this and realized, that Jonah, who we, we preached on about a year ago, Jonah was the prophet who, who got the not-so-pleasurable job of saying God also loves the Assyrians, right? So Hosea got the job of saying God loves Israel and is calling Israel back to himself, but Jonah got the crazy job of going to the enemy and saying God wants them too, right? Craziness. But what we'll look at right now is Hosea, and Hosea is one of the prophets that not only are his words the revealed word of God, that that show what God will be doing, but also, and this is is the part that we get here, is that his life is a mirror, that when people look at it, they see what God thinks of his people. They see in his life, and the actions that are lived out in his life, exactly the way God wants to treat his people. So, verses 2 and 3, this is all we're going to cover today, before we baptize some people. And this is it. When, the, word, when the, the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So there's three things that I want to cover simply in this. Combining the story of Hosea and the prophecy God is making through him. The first is the story of Hosea is about a man marrying a woman. And it is a prophecy about God's relationship with the chosen people. So before we get into anything else, it's simply about a man marrying a woman. And what that means. Because unless we get what that means, unless we get what that covenant commitment means, the rest of it won't mean anything. So it's about a man marrying a woman and what that means, and in the mirror of that, what it means for God to choose a people and to covenant himself, to literally marry himself to a people. And part of this is that before we get into the part of going, Okay, there's some brokenness here. I want you to see that this is a real marriage. Right? This is God calling Hosea to do nothing less than marry a woman who he knew would be unfaithful, but to genuinely love her. And you will get this throughout the whole book. Even in chapter 3, where, where she goes back to prostitution, and he's, this is literally what God says. He goes, go and love her again. Right? So when Hosea marries Gomer, he's not just going, okay, find me a woman. You know? No, he's, he's literally going, this is a woman that I'm going to love and protect and to keep and to cherish. So this is a real marriage. And that marriage is God's idea. Right? So not only is this a real marriage, but marriage... Is God's idea of people being in relationship with Himself. So even before this marriage, marriage itself was God's idea of showing people what it looks like to be in relationship with Himself. So let me tell you a little story to illustrate what I mean by this. So we're familiar with Garden of Eden, God makes Adam, Adam is alone, and Adam has to name the animals. Right? You guys are like, you're going primitive here, and I am, right? Adam is naming animals, and the whole time, he's he's supposed to see if anyone are good companions, right? And so he's naming them. He's like hippopotamus, no, dog maybe no, right? And he goes through and he's like, okay, like they're they're fun. Some are cuddly, some are not. And he goes, he gets to the end and he's like, God, I am alone, and God goes, yes. That is exactly what you are supposed to understand from this lesson. Right? That you are alone. And so God causes man to fall asleep and then he awakens man to find woman and man sings. Yes, right? And he's like finally I'm not alone. And this is this is God's idea and he's teaching them what how special relationship was. So God's idea all along is this that man shall leave his father and mother and be joined and become one flesh with his wife. And this all along was meant to show that, that humanity is supposed to be intimately, inseparably tied to God. It's not the other way around, that God saw how fun marriage was, and so he wanted to do that too. It wasn't that. He created it, to be so when we see marriage and, and how mysterious it is, and yet how necessary it is, and all these things we are supposed to see this is our relationship with God. It is mysterious, it is necessary, and that is what happens between Hosea and Gomer. We're we on the same page. So Hosea marries. Gomer, and this is a real marriage of covenanting love where two become one and are committed to one another. And, and I want you to see that this is just throughout the Bible, God's covenant love for people. And I'm just going to give you some verses here. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, his faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generation of those who love him and keep his commandments. In 7.12 it says, If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow him, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your forefathers. 1 Kings eight twenty three. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below who keeps your covenant of love wholeheartedly. Nehemiah. Says then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Psalm one o six. For their sake He remembered His covenant, and out of His great love He relented from punishing them. Mm-hmm. Daniel nine four. I prayed to the, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with all who love Him and obey His commandments. Isaiah fifty four ten. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. God is a God of covenant love, and he is covenanting with the people because he loves them. That is, that is the Old Testament. <laughs> okay? God covenanting with the people to be faithful to them and calling them to respond in faithfulness to him. So to put it in, in simple terms to us, God is saying the I do in the wedding vow, and he is keeping it. And that's, that's what we're meant to understand. So Hosea and Gomer, real relationship. God and his people, real relationship. Point two, the story of Hosea, though, is about the consequences of unfaithfulness. And the prophecy of Hosea is about the consequences of unfaithfulness to God. So the story is about a man marrying a woman and a God committing himself in covenant relationship to a chosen people. But the book also goes on, and the book of Hosea is about the consequences of unfaithfulness, the consequence of Gomer being unfaithful to Hosea, the consequences of us being unfaithful to God. As you can read in verse 2, Hosea marries Gomer knowing that she will not be faithful to him. But in making a sincere wedding vow to her, to keep her, to love her, to cherish her in sickness and in health, he makes those commitments knowing, though, that there is unfaithfulness in her heart. And I want to say that the imagery here is used, and I'm not making this blanket statement about marriages, that women are unfaithful, not making that statement, right? Men are just as unfaithful as women in our world today. Um, But here in this, Hosea, um, being that mirror of God's love is being faithful to his commitment, marrying a wife who he knew had an unfaithful heart. And that is extremely painful. This is so painful and so extraordinary that many commentaries you'll read will pretend like this is just a parable. As if Jose really didn't marry Gomer. As if God wouldn't call someone to do something that crazy, that hard. And the two reasons they give for this are namely this, that it would make Hosea a mockery to Israel. They would never listen to him, because why would they listen to a man who would marry an unfaithful woman? And the second is that it would make it look like God approved of unfaithfulness. But God was calling Hosea to do exactly that. Because just as Hosea was most likely mocked and reproached for his actions, in no less a way was Jesus mocked and reproached for his love for an unfaithful people. Right? As Jesus comes, and in John it says, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. This is the story of Scripture. And if you can't handle the reality of what unfaithfulness looks like, and we can't address it, then you'll be very uncomfortable reading the Bible. Because the Bible addresses these issues, and it sort of pulls back the, the the trappings of it's okay, it's all okay that we try to put on it, right? We're like it's all fine, and God's going, no, it's not all fine. And and Hosea knows, Hosea by his action knows better than anyone that it is not okay what Israel is doing because. He feels in his heart what it is like to have a spouse who's unfaithful, but to love her. This would be easy if he didn't love her, but he does love her, and he marries her out of love for her. And so when she is unfaithful, he feels brokenhearted. And that's the story of Hosea. Not that this is easy, but that it is hard. Right? And so when we read it and we're like, I am uncomfortable with this, God's like, good! (laughs) you should be uncomfortable with this. And it is not like the second accusation that, that God somehow approves of unfaithfulness because the book is full of consequences of that action. And to those who would say, possibly to Hosea, Hosea, don't waste your love on unfaithful woman. What would we say to God? God, don't waste your love on an unfaithful people. No, we would say, thank you. Thank you, Hosea, for showing us faithfulness when what we see is unfaithfulness. When I have an unfaithful heart, I am grateful to look to Hosea and say, thank you for taking that challenge, which was bitter and which was hard. But it gives incredible hope because it shows that love does conquer, and that is the greater theme of Hosea. And this is point three. The story of Hosea is about saving a broken marriage. That is the theme. We like the, we like the first part, marriage. <laughs> but we don't like the second part, which is inherent in all of us, and that is unfaithfulness. And if you are married, you know, I'm not married, but I know from all the marriage counseling I've done, (laughs) that unfaithfulness is inherent in us. And we will always bring that unfaithfulness into our marriages. The question is, how will we deal with that unfaithfulness once we are in that covenant commitment? Because when you come into a marriage, you don't come perfect. When I am performing a marriage ceremony, I am not performing the marriage between two people who will be able to fulfill their vows to one another. They will not be able to fulfill their vows to one another apart from the grace of God. Amen? Right? And so when we come to this, this place of discomfort and we go, ah, oh, I don't like it when you talk about consequences. God, I don't like consequences. We're going, sorry. There are consequences because there is unfaithfulness. But what are we going to do with that unfaithfulness? And, and this is where I hope we come. What, what will we do with our unfaithfulness? Not let's pretend like we don't have it. Let's say, yeah, we have it. What will we do now with that unfaithfulness? And the story of Hosea is exactly about that. It's about saving a broken marriage and the prophecy about God saving his people who have rejected him. And you might say, where do you get that within the first three verses? And this is where I get it. The name of Hosea. The name Hosea literally means salvation. Right. The name Hosea means salvation. So even in this first part where we're going, I don't see a lot of hope. We see hope in what this man is called to be in representing what God is for his people, which is offering salvation. So this book invites us to discover again God's covenant commitment to an unfaithful people who are unfaithful. But he's saving them. Not disregarding what they've done, but acknowledging, and this is hard. You will read the book of Hosea, and there will be parts where you are like, ah, ah, I don't like that. Because there are consequences to unfaithfulness, but all along he is offering salvation for his people. And it is the consequences of leading to salvation is gruesome in this book. I'll be honest with that. And so we're gonna look at different acts of love. We're gonna look at what it looks like in this book as God rejects his people, not for good, but as a consequence of unfaithfulness. What does that look like? How do we deal with that as a church as we read this and we go? God's not just going, no consequences, but God's going, yeah, there's separation that comes from unfaithfulness, but then what what does it look like for God's commitment of love to restore that? And I hope this is just healing for us as a church and healing for us as a people to be able to acknowledge that we are an unfaithful people. And I'm not just being like Daniel Downer here, right? Like, for us to to be able to go, "This, this is what we find, and unless we're honest with this, we're going, to be, we're going to be living in a world of hurt in our marriages because we won't know how to deal with that. We won't, we won't understand how to really receive the salvation God is offering because God isn't, isn't like brushing over something, but God's really dealing with what's going on in our lives. And he is constantly holding out Hosea. He's constantly holding out salvation to us. So really quick, I'm going to give you some application just within this part. Um, And then um, just offer the rest of this series as a time for us to experience together what this looks like for us to see the act of God's love for us. So application is simply two things, that God's offer is also real today of covenant love that he's offering for us. And for us to know that, right, maybe as we've been preaching, though it's been short, You go, I want to know real love. That's why we called it real love. (laughs) Because real love is covenant love. It's commitment love. It's not just trust. It's not just feeling, which are both good. But it is covenant commitment. And that's the real love that God is offering you today. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, it ends by saying this. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angel nor demon, neither present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In a similar way, in Ephesians chapter (coughs) 3, it ends by saying this I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. And so we're going to discover what this covenant love is. I invite you today, um, if this is something that excites you, that God's offers for you today, what well, He's offering, the salvation He's offering in Hosea, He's been offering all along and He still offers to those who want to come and be in covenant relationship with Him. But God's desire is not just to give real love, but to get real love, right? God is saving us to participate in that. And so he's calling for all who want to make a commitment to follow him. Right? Oftentimes, uh, in our language today, belief means a lot of things. And belief can be a very subjective, very wishy-washy term. Right? Faith can be something elusive and out there and, and kind of intangible. But what God's calling people to do is be in a covenant relationship with him right when you, see, when you say when you say i believe in jesus like like those who are being baptized today have said and, and as they as they are dunked in the water right they're making a public profession that i have i've committed myself to follow jesus christ and what that means for me is that i have been literally buried with him in his death and raised with him in his resurrection and that I am free from my unfaithfulness. It might not mean that I am free from unfaithfulness patterns in my life, but that I am, I'm free from those things that I've done that have hurt him so badly because of the salvation he's offered. Right? And so God's calling us to be in a covenant relationship with him when he loves us with an unfailing love, but he's calling us also to commit to him. And I welcome any of you who'd like to do that, too, just to commit your lives to him, guys. You will not experience his faithfulness to the fullest measure unless you come faithfully to him. He wants a real relationship with you. And oftentimes, we don't know what it means to be in a real relationship with God because we just want him to do something. Just do something, God, and then I'll be saved. God's going, no, I want you to come to me wholeheartedly and commit yourself to me, and that's exactly the testimony that you're going to hear from four people being baptized today. Um, and so, I'm going to give them a chance to get changed, and uh, and I'm going to just explain really quickly what what this is. So, uh, if you guys would like to get changed, we have four people getting baptized. We have Sheila, Hannah, Richard, and Brittany. Um, and this is this is very exciting. <clears throat> I also do just want to let you guys know. I mean, if, if you would love to talk about what that covenant commitment means, uh, feel free to talk with me afterwards about this. Um, are you just going to get baptized like that? Oh, I love you. That's great. <clears throat> In Romans six. Verses 1 through 4. It gives us a clear picture of baptism. And this is what it says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So he's saying, What shall we say since God covenants with us? Shall we just keep on doing whatever we want? He says, by no means. By no means. We died to sin, so why should we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live in a new life. And so what this baptism is literally symbolizing for you guys to participate in and witness is that God has covenanted with them, right? And they have said, yes. And so as they get dunked, it's not just this weird symbol that's like magical. Literally what's going is, we want you guys to see visibly what's going on invisibly, right? That literally, they see all that they were getting buried with Christ, right? All their unfaithfulness getting buried with Christ. And when he was raised to life, they are raised to new life with him. And that is what baptism means. And so that's what we're going to celebrate today. And so each of them are going to share their testimonies, and then I'm going to invite Pat up, and we're going to, um, we're going to baptize them. So, um, Richard, since you are so prepared, I'm going to, I'm going to let you give your testimony.